working our way through First Peter. We've gone to, had two sermons. We looked at the first uh, nine verses a couple of weeks ago, and then last week we looked at uh, 10 through 16. That was a cool passage about uh, the prophets longing to know what we know today, and now we're in 17 through 21. There'll be 15 more sermons after this one uh, to get us through the book, so hopefully you'll be an expert in First Peter when we get done. So let me read 17 through 21. If, and that's always a key word when you're reading the word if, that's a conditional, it means okay, you're either here or you're here. You're going to do this direction or you're going to go this direction. It's a if, it's a conditional statement. If you address his father, in other words, if you call God father, if you pray our father who art in heaven, if you do that, the one who impartially judges, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. That line right there. Impartially judges according to each person's work. Work. Mine, yours. God is the judge, and he impartially judges. There will come a time when he will do that. If you call God Father and you know that he is the one who impartially judges uh, your work here, conduct yourselves, that means live your life in such a way, in fear during the time of your stay on earth. As you live this life, there's a fear that's expected or ought to be in us towards the Father because he is the judge and we will stand before him knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things. Now here, this next paragraph, he's going to basically say, your salvation was very, very, very expensive. It cost a lot to save you. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were purchased with precious blood as of a lamb and unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. You were redeemed with the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. For you. He appeared, he came, he left earth for my sake and for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And so again, we have a... a, a statement that's complete in the sense of beginning and end as the Peter writes through he writes things in little blocks of information and he said if you address God and call him father and you know that he is the judge of every person that uh, live your life in fear of that event the day you stand before him Number one in your notes, Peter's goal in writing First and Second Peter to Christians all over the known world was to motivate, motivate, motivate them to spiritual growth and to bear much fruit with their life for God. I don't know if you've discovered this about yourself, but one of the things that I know about me is when I am motivated, really motivated, I can do anything. When I'm really motivated, I can diet lose weight like crazy. When I'm really motivated, I can exercise every day. When I'm really motivated, I read my Bible every day, not miss a day. When I'm motivated, and I do, 
what I'm supposed to do, when I'm really motivated. So I had suggested sometimes that when we have the five days of prayer that uh, we get some money from Homeland Missions and pay people to come pray. Yeah, we can try. Uh, we can try with $100 and see what the turnout is. If it's not too good, we'll up it to 200 And then maybe we'll get it up to 500 One hour praying, you get $500. Now, people would show up, and they would show up why? They were motivated. So the question is, what motivates you? Uh, what Starts your engine, what cranks it, what makes you go, what gives you energy. What is the motivation of your life? Now, uh, you've heard me teach on this before, but there's three basic motivators in life. This is basic. The first one, and we might call that the foundation level of motivation, is fear of punishment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of punishment, fear of loss, that's a motivator. And that's the beginning. Second, you move up a level. And it's the hope of reward. And so we motivated our kids by paying them. If they memorized the Bible verse, we paid them. If they filled out the sermon notes, got every blank filled in, we paid them. I remember one time uh, they were short on bulletins. It was back when Don McLean, old guy, would pass out bulletins. And they were short, so he was going to not give them to the kids. And so one of my kids back when they were this age, he said, no, you can't have a bulletin. They started crying. And Don was flustered. He, he, I was standing there, he said, well, what did I do? I said, you just cost them a dollar. He said, I cost them a dollar. Yeah, if they fill that thing out, they get a buck when they get home. And now they don't get it because you don't give them one. So he reached in his pocket and he got two dollars out and gave it to them. <laughs> and so they were, they were happy with that. Now I don't have to fill out the notes and I get two dollars to boot. So hope of reward, that's a motivator. We do that, we go to work, we do things for reward all the time. Um, and then the third motivator, moving up a level, is love of person. In other words, you're motivated to please someone that you love. That's a powerful motivator. Now, it's not where you start. It's where you get when you've grown a lot. It begins with fear of punishment, hope of reward, love of person. And so this passage is talking about both fear of punishment and hope of reward and love of person. It's Peter's trying to move Christians out of being wimps. They're all hiding and trembling and fearful because the Romans were persecuting them, and so they had turned into wimps, and he's trying to get them cranked up and say, come on, guys, let's get with it. And so this is a passage intended to motivate them. Number two, every believer will stand before Jesus at the end of their life and will be judged by Jesus for the work that they have done. That was a basic fact that was preached all the time during uh, this time. Every believer will stand. Be this has nothing to do with getting into heaven. It has everything to do with what your life is going to be like when you get to heaven. The rewards that we will receive from Jesus as a result of standing before him and having our life judged by him. So, did you know, I, I read this number of years ago, that our brain does a lot of things automatically. Uh, it's just wired to do certain things. We don't have to tell it to do it. It just does it. One of those is, is that it tends to automatically shut out things that we don't like, that make us nervous, 
that make us uptight, that create fear, that threaten us. It's sort of like blinking your eyes if somebody goes to punch you or flinching. Your brain does that. It keeps things from coming in. So did you know that most believers, if you were to give them a quiz about the judgment seat of Christ, even if they've heard a lot of preaching on it, can answer very, very few questions. The average believer does not like the topic of the judgment seat of Christ. So you meditate and think about what's it going to look like, feel like when you stand before Jesus at the end of your life and you give an account of your life to him and he judges you on the basis of how you've lived your life. Uh, If you think about that for very long, that will create a, a fear an apprehension, a nervousness about that event. I remember the first time I went and took my driving test. I was so nervous, I got sick. I was afraid I'd fail, and I did. (laughs) But the cool thing about driver's tests, you get to take it again. Uh, And then if you're like me, you take it again. But you just keep taking it until you finally pass it. Now, the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to stand before Jesus and give an accounting of your life. And he isn't going to say to you, you know, you didn't do so well. Let's send you back. and We'll have you run through that again. See if next time you can do a little bit better on your test. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 to 21. This is the passage we're looking at tonight. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges, impartially judges according to each man's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must, must, and there's no way of getting out of it, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we were taking a grandkid home last night uh, from youth group, and one of them says, Grandma, You got any work for me to do? I need some money. And Grandma loves to put her grandkids to work and pay them. The only problem, she pays them like 20 bucks an hour. And she says, can I have some money to pay the kids? I'll give you a dollar. No, we're going to pay them more than that. We're going to motivate them. Let's motivate them a little less expensive. So anyway... He wants to come work for grandma and earn some money. So when he gets done working, he gets paid and he gets recompensed. That means he gets paid according to what he has done. And so usually there's some negotiation that goes on between uh, grandparents and grandchild over, okay, how much are you going to do? And when you get that much done, what are we going to pay you? And if you get half that done, recognize you're not only going to get half as much. So you get paid according to what you get done. That's what the word recompense means. Uh, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds, his deeds, his work in the body. That's where we are now, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Genesis 18.25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike for Far be it from you, you shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly. So there's certain little phrases that our kids all said. One of them was, 
mine. Another one was, I can do it myself. Another one was, I forgot. And another one, you know this one. That's not fair. She's got more than I do. I did wood last time. That's not fair. So what do mom and dad say when a kid says that? You know, my wife said, that's the way life is. It's just not fair. You've discovered that, haven't you? Life is not fair. But God is. So you've probably heard this story maybe from me about a missionary that spent his whole life in Africa. This was back a number of years ago when there wasn't quite the conditions that there are now. So it was tough being a missionary in Africa his whole life there. And so they were worn out, they were done in, their health was bad, their money was gone, and they were coming home on a ship from Africa to the United States. And on the same ship was Theodore Roosevelt and an entourage with him. He had been over there, big game hunting, shooting elephants and lions and, and such. And so they were on their way home on the same ship. Now, when the ship pulled into port, there was these bands and balloons and celebrations and, and uh, news people. And, and this guy that was the missionary to Africa thought, wow, what a great welcome we're getting. And then Theodore Roosevelt walked off and, and everybody followed him and left and they were left standing there on the boat by themselves. And he says to his wife, doesn't seem fair. He went over there and just hunted big game for a couple of weeks and he got that kind of welcome. And we were over there all of our life and gave everything and there's nobody here to welcome us home. Doesn't seem fair. His wife says, honey, you forgot something very important. He said, what's that? We're not home yet. So at the judgment seat of Christ, everything will be fair. Everything will be just. Shall not the God of all the earth deal justly? And he will. And so whatever is not just here, whatever is not fair here, and much will be like that, it gets taken care of at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus said, you don't even give up a glass of water to a child that you'll not be rewarded for it at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 11, for we will all, will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God, so then each one of us will give an account, an account, an account. That means we'll be reviewed. What did you do? What did you accomplish? You know, I think about this event every day. Every morning I get up and say, Today, Lord Jesus, I will live my life as if it's the last before I stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ. And one of the things that I imagine Jesus declared in John 4, he said, All, that the, work, all the work that the Father gave me to do, I accomplished. And I have this nervousness that I'm going to stand before Jesus and over his shoulder I'm going to see this list and my name is going to be at the top. And there's going to be some jobs on the list and two of them are crossed off and then there's a whole bunch more that aren't. 
going to be held accountable for what we've done with our life. And I'd sure like to say with Jesus, all that the Father gave me, I accomplished. 1 Peter 4, 5, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay, will repay every man according to his deeds. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives, the motives of men's hearts, our motives of men's heart. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward, the reward of the inheritance. Revelations 22.12, behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he has done. To render to every man according to what he has done. 1 Corinthians 3.13 Each man's work each man's work will become evident. The day, that's the day we stand before Jesus, the judgment seat of Christ, will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved because we're saved by faith, not by works. Yet, so is through fire. That means he will step into heaven with nothing. Nothing. Everything that he's done is burned up, and he will step into heaven smelling like smoke, as if through fire. Psalms 9, 7, The Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. Psalms 50, verse 3, May our God come and not keep silent. Fire devours before him, and it is very temptuous around him. He summons the heavens above the earth to judge his people, to judge his people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalms 98, 9, Before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness, the peoples with equity. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. God will bring every act to judgment, every act to judgment, everything which is hidden. Acts 17, 31, because he has fixed a day. He has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's a, more verses than I normally read under a point, but I, I just wanted you to hear the number of verses that state that and there's a whole bunch more number three every christian will give an account to jesus for the life they have lived as a follower of him and be given eternal rewards so one of the things that i come across teaching this and i it's probably my favorite topic to teach because it motivates me but what I run across when I teach it is people who uh, want to kind of wash away the uh, nervousness by saying this. I don't care about rewards. I am going to heaven. That's all that matters, just to get in. And I think to myself, how naive is that? 
How long is heaven? Why would you choose to be a person who steps into glory with zero rewards instead of a whole bunch? Because we don't realize the difference. The difference there will be in heaven between those with many rewards and those with none. And there will be a huge difference. Those rewards were intended to motivate. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10 again, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, rewarded, paid according to what he's done. Psalms 19, and I'm going to skip that one, it's a long one. Psalms 58.11, and men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Matthew 5.12, rejoice and be glad, your reward in heaven is great. Your reward in heaven is great. Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Revelation 22, 12, behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 8, this is at the very end of his life, just before he was martyred by Nero. He says, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. On that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Revelation 3.11, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that you do not, so that no one will take your crown. Number four, there are at least five different eternal rewards given by Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and they're all cool. And they all make a huge difference. And there's probably way more than this. These are the ones that are just obvious. First reward is glory and praise from Jesus. We were created for glory. We were created with glory, and we lost it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the first time you committed a sin on purpose, you lost your glory. There was this vacuum in you. That's why kids will show off, is because they've got this vacuum. We were created in God's image and in his likeness. We were created for glory. And when we get to heaven, God will give us glory and praise, but some will get way more than others, and some will get none. Some will get none. You know, I imagine what that'll be like, and I've said this so many times, you probably can say it now before I say it, is that Jesus will just stop everything. Everybody stop, listen, and then he will tell a story about Tracy Rowe. And all of heaven and the angels and everybody claps and cheers. Yay, Tracy! That's going to go on forever. Jesus telling stories about what we did with our life here. And everybody cheers. That's glory from him. Praise from him. Some will get a lot and some will get none. Can you imagine being in heaven for a thousand years not having your story told? Not even once. 1 Corinthians 15, 41. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. We will have various levels of glory. Some will have a lot and some will have none. That is a key reward at the judgment seat of Christ and it's a reward that lasts for all eternity. It is the glory and the praise we receive from Jesus forever and ever and ever. Be a, our relationship 
our nearness, intimacy with Jesus. Um, I'd, somebody said, you know, I don't care about rewards. I just want to get into heaven. And I said, do you love Jesus? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. So are you content with getting into heaven and not seeing him? What do you mean? I mean, we're going to be finite beings. You ever been in a crowd? Big crowd and way over there is somebody that you know is there because he's supposed to be there, but you can't see him. I ran a marathon a number of years ago up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and there were 15,000 people that ran this marathon. And uh, you sign up at the beginning what your projected finish time is. My projected finish time evidently was slower than almost everybody else's because they put you in the crowd accordingly so that you don't mess up somebody and like I don't think there was two people behind me in the crowd and so I'm back there and I've got the timing chip on because it's a long ways to where we started so it didn't matter because it didn't start until my timing chip went off on the map but I heard the gun go off and I stood there and I stood there have you ever been in a car and there's a green light about six cars in front of you and it turns green you can see it's green but you don't move because they're moving and then they're moving and they're moving that's the way it was at this marathon I stood there for 15 minutes before I moved until this whole crowd started going and there was a guy in that race that was a world famous uh, runner and I thought you know I'd like to see him but I never even caught a glimpse of him because he was way up there and I was way back here. How many people are going to be in the body of Christ, the church, on the day of Pentecost, at the day of the rapture, with Jesus as his bride? Going to be a lot. Somebody's going to be sitting right next to Jesus and somebody's going to be way out there, Fargo, North Dakota, long ways away. How long will that last? long time your proximity your nearness to Jesus is determined by your nearness to Jesus here <clears throat> Revelation 3.19 those whom I love I reprove and discipline therefore be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him he with me. You know, that's often used as a salvation verse. That's not a salvation verse. That's a verse given to lukewarm Christians. If you hear, if you, I'll dine with you, you with me. He's not talking about here. He's talking about there. All of Revelations 2 and 3 is about the judgment seat of Christ. He who overcomes, that means the one who has lived life to the max for Jesus, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pay attention to this, he's saying. There are some that will sit with me, even as I am sitting with my father. And there's a whole bunch who won't. Um, see, the amount of joy we will receive, there'll be levels of joy that we receive in heaven. Some will get a lot from the same experience that some will get very little out of. 
Our capacity for joy is determined at the judgment seat of Christ. D, the job we will have. Do you think we're going to just ride around on a cloud and play a harp for 10,000 years? And we're going to have some, we're going to do something. And there's going to be different jobs given uh, to us based on what we've done in this life. The glory and praise we will receive from others. And so Paul said, he said, you, as he wrote to several churches, you are my glory in eternity. Meaning, you lead somebody to Jesus, when they see you in heaven, they're going to say, oh, you're wonderful. I'm here because of you. You're taught in the Sunday school class. They will say, oh, you're, mm, you're wonderful. I love you. You're so good. And so we receive glory in eternity, and it will be unaffected by any kind of bad attitude or pride or lack of judgment. It will be pure, clear, understandable praise and adoration from people whom we've blessed in this life because their life was different because of us. That will all be made perfectly clear when we receive uh, glory from others. Paul made that statement three different times. You are my glory in eternity. Number five, those who enter into the lake of fire will also be judged by Jesus, the righteous judge. <clears throat> those who are not in heaven, but in hell, and hell will be thrown into the lake of fire, will be judged and rewarded in a sense. Revelations 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne, him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them, and I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. They were judged from the things in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. They were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. According to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Your name is written in the book of life when you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Matthew 10, 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. More tolerable. You know what that's saying is that there will be levels of punishment based on how people live their lives. So if you're planning on earning your way by being good, earning your way into heaven by being good, that's going to pay off, but not in heaven. It'll pay off in where you're at in the lake of fire. Matthew eleven twenty two. Nevertheless, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven. Will you? you will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom and which occurred in you, it would have, been, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, these are all lost people, unbelievers in the lake of fire, but one will experience more tolerance, more mercy than others. Number six, our awareness of the judgment seat of Christ was designed by God to create in us a fear of doing poorly in life. The 
The judgment seat of Christ is real. The consequences are eternal and they're significant and they're worth thinking about meditating on and motivating our own life as we live life to recognize that everything we do, even as small as giving a glass of water to a child, is rewarded when we stand before Jesus. 1 Peter 1.17, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says the same thing. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Somebody, you know, people regularly will, when they read the Bible, will run across something that puzzles them, and then they'll ask me, and I hear this pretty often, Pastor, can you tell me what it means when the Bible says, uh, fear God? I said, yeah, I can do that. It means fear God. Well, I mean, it must mean more than fear. No, that's what it means. It means fear. God is judge, and there will be rewards and loss of reward on how you live your life. That was intended by God to motivate us to righteousness. It was intended by God to motivate us to be like him. <clears throat> I forgot which verse I'm on. Second Corinthians 7 when I read that one. Number seven, the more motivated that we are, the better we will do in living our life for Jesus and serving him. I can do anything if I'm motivated enough. And uh, God, God's word was intended to motivate us if we read it believe it apply it without being defensive 2 Corinthians 5 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad therefore knowing the fear of the Lord this is Paul speaking knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade men. And so Paul experienced the fear of God as a result of thinking, meditating on this principle. We will all stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and give an accounting. Number eight, we're responsible to motivate ourselves and to keep ourselves hot. So my dad and I farmed together and we had a lot of arguments because dad farmed like they did during the depression and I read Hordes Dairyman how all, all modern farmers farmed and so I wanted to do it this way and dad wanted to do it this way the reason he wanted to do it this way because it didn't cost much money I wanted to do it this way because it was modern but it cost a little bit more money than dad's way and so we would have these debates and arguments and he said one day so here's what we're going to do we're going to split the farm up and I'm going to do this, and you're going to do that. And you're not going to tell me what to do, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. Cool. What do I get? Barn cleaning? And so we divvied up the farm. I got the cows. Wow. Dad got the calves. And so the whole farm, we divvied up. I remember one day a calf died. I said, Dad, you should do this. And he said, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Who do the calves belong to? 
You or me? You. He says, so why are you telling me what to do? I said, I'm sorry. Just kill them all. I don't care. So, you know, we got, got away with that kind of a thing. Um, so, God says, I will do this. My job. And he says, this is what you do. God is split up. This is what he does. This is what I do. You know what we like to do? We like to do God's jobs and ignore ours. And so one of the things that you can do to figure that out is look and see where there are consequences. God wouldn't bring consequences if that's what he's supposed to do. He would bring consequences if that's what you're supposed to do. Revelations 3.15, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What's that mean? That means you're going to spend eternity in Fargo, North Dakota. You're not going to be sitting on the throne with Jesus. You're going to be a long ways out there. Because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. So what he's saying is, that's your job. That's your job. Start your engine. Get hot. Get motivated. How do you do that? Think about the day you stand before Jesus and you hear him say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Think about the rewards and start your engine. Because you're lukewarm, you're not motivated, Ah, who cares about rewards? I just care about just getting in. I will spit you out of my mouth. You're in, but you don't have any rewards, or not many. So I'm working every day for the rewards that Jesus gives. And they're cool. They're worth working for. He gives praise, and I get to be close to him and know him intimately. I get a great job and there's probably dozens more if I knew all that there was to know about rewards. So you just think about you. How am I going to do? And then don't just, okay, I guess that's just the way it is. Just say, well, tomorrow's a new day. And I'm going to change. I'm going to improve. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come into him. Dine with him. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Uh, just choose. That's what all of us is intended, is to motivate us to get motivated to make a difference, to choose to live our life for him and to do stuff with our life that matters. He gives us the power to do it. He gives us the opportunity to do it. It's not hard. It just requires choosing. Choosing every day to do his will, his work, with our eye on the finish line. I don't run without aim. I don't box beating the air. I'm thinking about the finish line. I want to do well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you. You want us to grow. You want us to become like you. You want us to bear much fruit, and you've given us all the power we need. You've given us the resources. You've given us the open doors and the opportunities. You've given us the church and the people in it. We have everything we need to succeed to the max and to do incredibly well as we stand before you and hear you say, well done. But we still have to choose. 
We've got to establish the priorities of whether we're going to live for you or live for the world. We're the one, Lord, who think about our life and what is it that we do that is eternal in nature and what is it that we do that's going to all get burned up? Not bad stuff, just stuff that doesn't matter. I pray that we would prioritize our life, our time, and that we would live in such a way that when we stand before you, we will hear you say, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. And so, Lord, we trust that you'll grant us the strength, you'll give us the instructions, the direction, the resources, all that we need. And then we'll simply say every day, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. Use me for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.